there's some really wise advice in the Bible. Is that newsflash? One of them is, don't ever let the sun set on your anger. Now, I don't know if you've, you're old enough to actually appreciate that little tidbit of wisdom, but I can tell you when I was a 21-year-old married man, I don't think I'd memorized that verse quite yet. Isn't it amazing how God kind of settles you and calms you down as you get a little older and a little more mature? I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you've said something to someone that you care about, and then later that night, about eight hours later, you can't sleep because you're replaying that conversation and what should I have done, what could I have said. I don't think Marcy will mind me sharing this because I'm telling on myself more than anything. It was not a king-size bed. It was not a queen-size bed. It was small. But whatever I had said was bad enough that you could have driven a semi-truck in between the two of us. The Bible says, don't let the sun set on your anger. And there are times in our life where if we could get a do-over, we might not have said what we said. We might not have done what we did. I don't know that there's anything where we play the coulda, shoulda, woulda game quite as much as with our parenting. I don't know, some of you, you know, unmarried you don't even want to talk about parenting. Well, let me encourage you to still focus in. Some of you go, hey, I'm not parenting, I'm grandparenting. Well, you're still in the game. You've got to encourage the next generation. As we continue our uh, conversation in our series on that verse, I don't think it means what you think it means. Uh, Solicited some feedback from the congregation on what's the verse that you think is most misunderstood. Proverbs 22.6 was the number one verse that came back from our congregation. There's a lot of guilt related to parenting. There's a lot of, man, I wish if I would have been a little stronger in this area, perhaps my son would not have been so tempted by the glitter of this sin. Perhaps if I would have, you know, maybe not worked as many hours and and coached so-and-so's volleyball team, maybe my relationship with her would be different now than this distance that we find between us. So we want to talk a little bit about parenting and this apparent promise in Proverbs 22.6 that if you do everything right, the Bible promises your kids are going to turn out just fine. Is that how it happens? So I want us to look at this. Three simple uh, points today related to uh, this proverb in 22.6. And I begin by, 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 by making a statement that's going to sound perhaps a little odd for upholding you know, the integrity of Scripture. And it's that it's never wise to use the Bible as a battering ram. It's never wise to use the Bible as a battering ram. Now, I'm not talking about the guy who's got a 45-pound, like, family heirloom Bible that sits on his coffee shop who's using it to beat someone over the head with when he's sharing the gospel. What I'm saying is sometimes there are ways that we quote Bible verses in a very kind of cavalier way that in ways that we're completely unaware of, we're, we're heaping condemnation upon parents who already feel it. You already feel it. Look at Proverbs 22.6. Let's see what it says. Proverbs 22.6. Teach or train a youth about the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Friends, there is no doubt that this verse has caused parents 
tons of despair. Now listen, it's a Bible verse. That's supposed to make you happy, isn't it? This verse has caused lots of despair. And the reason that it causes the despair is it presents what looks to be an unassailable logic. How your kids turn out is dependent upon how you start them out. So, the good news is, if your kids end up good, well, congratulations, you started them out right. Conversely, your kids don't turn out right. It's not their fault. What did you do? Sounds like you're potty trained on a puppy. What did you do? You must not have started them out right. Isn't that what the logic of the passage seems to demand? If your kids turn out well, you get the credit. If your kids don't turn out well, you get the blame. And I'm here to tell you, especially in this room, um, in this church, in this congregation, there are parents who love their kids, who genuinely desire for their kids to follow Jesus. And they get to an age where they get to make decisions for themselves and they choose not to. You see, every kid, mom and dad, every kid has a drug problem. That may be a newsflash for you. Every single one of your kids. And you go, not my kid. Yes, they do. Every kid has a drug problem. They get drugged to church every time doors are open. And there comes a time when you're not there to make sure that they get up and that their bellies are full and that they've gotten cleaned up and washed behind their ears. There's going to come a time when you're not there to make sure that they're in church. Here's the question. What are they going to do then? Parents who love Jesus and have done everything that they know that they should do. They have loved them. They have disciplined them. They have um, tried to instill the right habits. And the way that some people treats this verse allows guilt to dogpile on top of a heart that's already heavy. You think parents are clueless about whether their kids are following Jesus or not? No, they are. They're just not going to like post it on Facebook, you know, and Snapchat that, hey, my kid doesn't follow Jesus. How many likes can I get? It's embarrassing. And they already feel guilty about it, but now we've heaped an additional condemnation upon hearts that are already despairing over this. And I think the issue with how this verse is used, if we can get this right in our mind, it'll help us perhaps be a little more gracious to folks that are in the struggle. The central core, the central premise of this is that this is um, from the book of Proverbs, okay? Now, Proverbs is like a Christian version of fortune cookies. Um, it's all these short little witty statements that you just like, you could crack open a year like, oh yeah, you know, uh, commit your way to the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. Your lucky numbers are 13, 42, 38. <laughs> You're like, what is this? It's not a book like you would normally read. It's not chapters. It's divided into chapters and verses so that you can kind of find a reference, but it's not a book that you would read like a novel. And so the, the, the issue with Proverbs is they're short little witty and memorable statements. I want you to get this. Proverbs are not promises. They are not promises. They are principles. Now, y'all going, preacher, you're just looking for another P word and um, trying to figure this out. You're, you're playing with words. No, there is a difference between a promise and a principle. 
Let me give you an example. The Bible says, commit your ways to the Lord, and He will do what? Give you the desires of your heart. Has there ever been a desire of your heart that you think is godly that you've not been given? There's such a thing as suffering. I don't think I would ever choose suffering. There's illness, there's disease, there's sin. So it's not like rubbing the magic lamp that this automatically works out every time. Do this, two plus two, and you get four. It's a principle that is true. It is kind of like a promise. It's just not a promise that doesn't admit any exceptions. It's better to understand the Proverbs not as promises, but as principles. Now, principles are true, but they're not always going to work out 100% of the way the way that you think that they need to. Many of you know that in a, a previous life, back in Kentucky, I had the opportunity for about 10 years to work as a college minister, young adult minister. So I worked almost exclusively with college students, graduate students, kind of 18 to 35 was the age group. <clears throat> and um, when you hit that age group, you have the opportunity to actually recover from your drug problem. You're 18, mom and dad don't make you go to church anymore, you know. Um, you might have moved away. You may be living somewhere else at school, taking a job somewhere. And um, I'll tell you, and I'll put this at probably an 80 or a 90% frequency rate. So it's the vast majority of time. Almost every uh, kid, I'll call him a kid, that came through the young adult ministry went through a crisis of faith where they had to figure out, okay, do I really believe this? Or am I just doing what my mom and dad have kind of conditioned me to do? You know what conditioning is. Uh, the guy Pavlov would take the dog and he would, he would shock it and give it a treat. You know, so uh, he, the, the dog would begin to associate the shock with the treat. And then eventually it got so conditioned that he'd start drooling because <laughs> he knew when he gets shocked the treat was going to come. And pretty soon they were able to remove the treat and he would still drool like the food was going to come. He got conditioned to the stimulus and even though there wasn't the reward, he still kind of did it. And the same is, same is true for our kids. Sometimes they can get conditioned to church, but not actually get any benefit out of it. And so the, there's a huge challenge here because you guys know as well as I do, your kid is not saved because you are. Your kid isn't saved because who their mom or dad is or who their grandparents are or the fact that somewhere way down the line they had a preacher in the family. It doesn't save you. It's got to be personal, intentional, conscious faith. And kids have to go through this. And so listen, I'll tell you this. I don't wish this upon anybody. But if the statistics prove to be true, your kids, when they get to that age, uh, depending on how they've been discipled and how they've processed through this, are going to ask some questions. You know what's great? God is big enough to handle whatever question they've got. And the Bible has enough integrity to provide the answers that they need. The problem is sometimes as parents, the minute our kids ask questions, we want to shut them up as quickly as possible. Because, oh my goodness, that might mean they don't believe everything that I believe. And we shut them up from asking their questions when you go, you know, I really don't know. That's a really good question. We need to affirm the struggle because sometimes through that struggle, they may come out on the other side, even having asked some questions that you don't like, they may come through that really having some answers that you don't even know how to provide the answer to. So don't jump on them when they ask questions. Welcome their questions. Let me, let me, let me tell you this. And for those of you young people that are kind of in the drug problem and kind of, you know, too smart for church and you think, you know, these people believe this book that's sold, you are not going to come up with a question that has not been asked that's been reasonably answered. 
I have absolute 100% confidence you are not going to unravel the Christian faith. So bring your questions, and if mom and dad don't want them, ask me. Ask Reed. We're not afraid of your questions. God's big enough and the Bible's true enough. It can handle whatever doubts that you have. And bring them, because we can't deal with your doubt until you bring it into the light. So ask us. Ask your mom and dad. Mom and dad, be ready for it. Maybe you need to talk to your Sunday school teacher. Talk to a deacon. Come see us. We'll help you. There's going to be a few things that I'll say, hmm, don't know about that. Can I give you an answer next week? Uh, nobody's asked me that question before. Young people ask good questions. I think they just sit around all day trying to think of like ways to stump the chump, you know? So um, it's crazy. But they will go through this period. And, and what happens to believing parents? They begin to feel guilty because their kid's asking, my kid asked what question in Sunday school? And the truth is we're more concerned with appearances than we are the discipleship of our kids. Oh, that's so embarrassing that my kid asked this. No, it's not. They're trying to think. Some of you, y'all would benefit from doing that every once in a while too. You're not supposed to check your brains at the door when you come to church. You've got to help them to learn how to think Christianly. Number two, with this understanding that Proverbs are not promises, they are principles. We have to listen very clearly to what this, this verse is talking about. It is challenging parents to correct their children. That should get an amen. We live, we live in an undisciplined age. Now, as a dad, <clears throat> you can tell I'm kind of living this battle out. Yeah, I should talk about what you did to me this week, little one. Use you as a sermon illustration. Hmm, see, I will get you back. You know, you think you got me? I'm going to get you. Um, see, that's a great part about being a preacher. My kids, they, 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 got, they better toe the line. I'm going to get them. I'll get them in public. So I'm not going to do it. Um, as a dad, we regularly have to do something that I dread. Go to the dentist. Oh my goodness, you want to talk about spiritual warfare? Because you know what? That guy, I don't, know, I don't know how he gets paid, but I, I think I am providing his salary. What happens when your kid's got crooked teeth? Braces. We just got, no, listen, I don't know who liked the braces, who, who liked the braces less, Chloe or me. Um, they didn't hurt me. They weren't on my teeth, but they, they took a bite out of my pocketbook, that's for sure. And the truth is when your kid's teeth are crooked, you're going to do something about it. The kid's got a bone that's crooked. He falls on the playground. You're going to do something about it. And that's really easy because, like, you know, you like go, ugh, every time your kid smiles, you know that there's something that needs to get fixed. <laughs> you know? They got a, a leg that's sticking out. You're like, all right, got to fix it. I mean, you'd be, <laughs> you'd be neglectful if you didn't. People would call child protective services. And yet at the same time, when our kid's character starts to get crooked, we don't pay any attention to it. Oh, yeah, so he's doing that. Not a big deal. And, and I just sit there and I go, because I, I see it with Christian parents as well as I do with, with parents that aren't believers. We're more concerned about their appearance than we are about their soul. And, and what this is saying is that we need, to be, we need to pay attention to their behavior. We need to pay attention to their beliefs. And here's the key. It says, teach or train a youth in the way that he should go. In the Hebrew, it's a command. Now, why, why is the Bible in a proverb 
commanding us to teach or train our kids. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out because they need taught or trained. You know, you, you ever, if your kid didn't need taught or trained, when that, that stove top is glowing red hot and they're going, ooh, light, ooh, light, you wouldn't have to say, no, don't touch that. They need taught and trained. And it's just, just for stupid and kind of insignificant stuff like that. It's not insignificant if you touch it. You've got to train them on what is right and what is wrong. And the point that it makes here is that however you, whatever pathway you inaugurate your kid into in their youth will continue on into old age. What you do when they're young can continue on into their older years. And so, mom and dad, if you teach your kid to be neat, you may have just made them marriageable. If you teach your kid to um, do their laundry, you can send them off to college resting assured that they might not be home every weekend now for you to do their laundry. If you teach your kid how to have responsibility, that may continue on. If you teach your kid how to be on time, you've taught them how to be responsible. There's all these issues here. And there's always a chance that your kid might turn out different than you, for good or for bad. But the truth is, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Your family has a culture. Your family has norms. Your family has standards that you pass on. So let me ask this question. When we talk about correcting your kids, what good will happen if you do not discipline your kid? What, what, what's good is you might have one less mouth to feed because they'll be dead or incarcerated. What good will happen if you do not discipline your child? Chances are they'll be even worse as an adult. It's really a shame when the police department has to give us tips on parenting, but about 10 years ago, the Houston Police Department uh, released a list of 12 ways to raise a juvenile delinquent. Here's what they are. Number one, begin in infancy to give the child everything he wants. This way, he'll grow up believing that the world owes him a living. Number two, when he picks up bad words, laugh at him. Then that'll make him think he's cute, and it will also encourage him to pick up cuter phrases that will blow your mind later. Number three, never give him any spiritual training. Instead, wait until he's 21, and then just let him decide for himself. Number four, avoid the use of the word wrong. It might develop a guilt complex. This will condition him to, be, to believe later when he's arrested for stealing a car that society is against him and he's being persecuted. Number five, pick up everything he leaves lying around. Books, shoes, clothes. Do everything for him so that he'll be experienced and throwing all responsibility on others. Number six, let him read any printed matter that he can get his hands on. Be careful that the silverware and the drinkware glasses are sterilized, but don't worry about his mind feasting on garbage. Number seven, quarrel frequently in the presence of your kids. This way, when the, they're, they're not too shocked when the home is finally broken up. Give the child all the spending money that he wants. And never, let him earn it, let, never let him earn his own. Why should he have things as tough as you did? Number nine, satisfy his every craving for food, drink, and comfort. See that every sensual desire is gratified because denial might lead to harmful frustration. Number 10, take his part against neighbors, teachers, and policemen. They are all prejudiced against your child. Number 11, when he gets into trouble, real trouble, apologize to yourself by saying, I never could do anything with him. 
And number 12, prepare yourself for a life of grief. You will have it in spades. What will happen if you do not discipline your kid? You might have just gotten the 12 commandments right there from the Houston Police Department. So the Bible says we're supposed to train them. We're supposed to teach them. What does that mean? Uh, There are some really well-respected Bible commentators that I just adamantly disagree with. They say you have to kind of train your kid according to his way, according to his manner, according to his nature. Man, I, I fully agree that you have to understand that child number one and child number two have different personalities, and what's effective with number one may not be effective with number two. You follow what I'm saying? I'm not talking about different standards. I'm talking about different methodology. You know, just because this works with one doesn't mean it's going to work with other. I'm fine with that. But when you talk about training a child according to his manner or according to his nature, there's a problem. Our nature is broken. Like we cannot train, we cannot say your sinful nature is now the basis of how we're going to correct you because our nature is messed up. We have to recognize our kids' uniqueness. We often recognize that our kids are sinners. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. Look at what it says. Foolishness is tangled up in the heart of the child. What's going to happen if you leave a kid to himself? Foolishness will mature into whatever it becomes. And it's not good. It's not good. The idea is that our discipline and our correction chases the foolishness out of them. And I'm going to give you a hint here. When foolishness leaves, what takes its place? In the book of Proverbs, there's always a contrast between foolishness and wisdom. You want to chase foolishness out of the heart of your kid so that wisdom has a place where it can live. Because there's only one room in your heart. And and there's only room for one occupant. And it's either going to be foolishness or it's going to be wisdom. And friends, that's, that's what we're called to do. As parents and as a faith community, the entire book of Proverbs is oriented at this. We want to help our kids on the way to wisdom. Now, why do I say on the way to wisdom? Because it's not a quick trip. You're going to take five steps forward and three steps back. You're going to feel like you're not making progress. You're going to go from being so proud of your kid to being like absolutely embarrassed all within a 24-hour period. Because they're learning. They're not born mature. They're born immature. They're not born wise. They're born foolish. So celebrate all of the little wisdoms that you see in them and bear with them to discipline them in love for the ways that foolishness continues to rear its ugly head. I love the way one author defined wisdom. Wisdom is believing and behaving in a way that glorifies God. I like that. Number one, it's simple. I can remember that. Believing and behaving in a way that glorifies God. And it's awesome because it says it's not just an issue of knowledge. I don't know if you've realized this. There's a lot of really smart people that are not wise. There are a lot of people that might be able to win at Bible Trivia Pursuit who don't live Bible Trivia Pursuit. It's not just an issue of knowledge. It's what you do with that knowledge. It is believing and it is behaving. And the book of Proverbs does does a favor for us. It um, it, it forces us to make a choice. There's, There's no middle ground you are journeying down the road of life and you come to a T-junction, okay? Now, understanding that life is about moving forward, you can't go backwards. You know, you're not going to, except for some ladies, you turn 29 and you start going backwards, you know, in age. 
Um, you can't do that. That really doesn't happen. You've got to go forward. And so uh, the book of Proverbs, life itself, forces us to say, I'm at a junction. I can go this way or I can go this way. And it forces us to make an option, uh, to, to, to choose an option of either choosing foolishness or choosing wisdom. Your kids need to know that. Every decision, every word, every thought is either moving them down the highway of wisdom or the highway of foolishness. Now, if you really stop to think about this, this is not just good advice for the little kids, it's good advice for the big kids too. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, do you realize that every word, every thought, every action is either progressing you down the road of wisdom or the road of foolishness? Everything you do. Every minute of your day is another step down one of those two pathways. You're either making progress or you're backtracking and heading in the opposite direction. And I think the reason we get so surprised at our kids' behavior or beliefs is that we're not helping them understand that wisdom is the accumulated um, mass of a bunch of little bitty good decisions. It's not just make one big decision and then you figured it all out. It's step by step by step by step. That's why I think the Bible uses a metaphor of walking with Jesus. It's not camping with Jesus. It's not like you get to one spot and you don't go anywhere. It is walking with Jesus. It's active. One foot in front of the other. Baby step, baby step, baby step, baby step. And I just sit there and I go, would my sanctification be helped if I looked at every decision as I, that I made as being more on the side of wisdom, more on the side of foolishness. Do you think that would change maybe the way you process through stuff? That is what the book of Proverbs is all about. Everything is one or the other. There's no middle ground. It's wise or it's foolish. And I think if we're really going to see this inculcated in our kids, it has to begin with mom and dad. Oh, well, you know, this is my work schedule. This is just what I... No, no. Don't let life happen to you. Happen to life. Seize the day for Jesus. Be active in your sanctification. Don't just react to the stuff that's happening. Act the way you're supposed to act. So how do we, how do we help our kids progress in the way to wisdom? Proverbs got a proverb for that too. Proverb 29, 15 says this. A rod of correction, listen y'all, imparts wisdom. He's saying discipline correction will help your kid to be wise. <clears throat> and I love this. The ancient Egyptians, they had a proverb of their own. It's not found in our book of Proverbs, <clears throat> but in their book of Proverbs, they said that little boys, their ears are located in their buns. Okay, do y'all get that? Little boys' ears are located on their backside. And so if you're talking to them, you're aiming at the wrong ears. Uh, if you want a little boy to learn... There may need to be a little application of something to help them figure out, now you got my attention, Dad. You know, blah, 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 blah. Yes, sir. <laughs> you get it? And it makes sense. And the Bible's just saying, it, it says a rod of correction. And I'll, 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 I'll be so bold as to say this. In our, in our parenting, um, your job is not to be your kid's friend. Because you know what happens? That's great while they're cute and cuddly. But then they learn how to say no, and then they get, they get big enough to beat you up where they don't have to listen to you anymore. And then what do you do? Now it's like Fort Knox, Fort Leavenworth. Rules, 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 rules. And they go, hey, where'd my buddy go? You have done lost the battle. 
You start out as an authority, and then you give them a longer rope as they prove to be mature. You give it to them. Because what happens once you give it to them? It's really hard to take it back. And when you establish yourself as a buddy and not an authority, you have done lost the battle. They may only be two years old. It, you lost. It's messed up. And if you will discipline more consistently, um, and I, I, won't, uh, I will not use any names to protect the identities of the innocent, not that there are any innocent. I'll, I'll give you a proverb. If you discipline consistently, you should probably be done disciplining your kids by the time they're seven years old. I will tell you, before my kids were seven, um, the uh, spoon came out quite a bit. But because you got ears on your backside, you learn a thing or two. And what happens is discipline, as they mature, becomes less and less frequent. And it takes different forms. There is still discipline that happens. It just typically now has to do with car keys and cell phones. Um, it's different. But you win the battle in the early years. If you wait to the teenage years, just expect World War III. You think North Korea is bad? Try to negotiate with a teenager. You know, um, Kim Jong-whatever isn't the only mad dictator. Every teenager is made from the same DNA. It's crazy. <clears throat> the point is that everybody needs discipline. Everybody needs discipline. The reason that they need it is you need discipline if you have any hope of actually getting to wisdom. Look at this, look at this graph that's on the, uh, on the screen back here. This is uh, using Bible words, and there's verses that we could attach to all of this that talk about the pursuit of wisdom. And doggone it, what's down there at the very bottom? Discipline. Discipline leads to discernment. You train someone to recognize right and wrong which leads to understanding, which leads to this old-fashioned word, prudence, which leads to knowledge, another word for wisdom. Applied knowledge is wisdom. You don't get to just skip number one. Discipline is the foundational um, building block for a life of wisdom. So guys, listen, discipline is important. And I, I wish that we lived in a day and age where I could just assume that you knew that that meant that that means any kind of physical abuse is absolutely wrong. Discipline is not physical abuse. Discipline is discipline. It should be done in love. It should be done according to um, specific guidelines. It should be done um, kindly, not in any kind of way to intentionally, like, significantly hurt your kids. Um, it's, it's, an, it's an application of measured uh, pain, not in the sense of being abusive. And the challenge is our culture has gotten so politically correct that we're more concerned about a, a abuse, physical abuse, and we've forgotten that if you do not discipline your kid, you will abuse your kid. You will abuse your kid by not disciplining him. You will abuse your kid because he'll never have a job. He'll be 40 years old and living, oh, he'll have a job. It'll just be three weeks at a time because he won't be able to keep a job because he never learned responsibility. He'll always be asking you for money to fund his date nights with these teenage girls that your 40-year-old son is dating. Because nobody his age is going to be willing to spend time with him because he doesn't have financial responsibility, emotional responsibility, social responsibility, employment responsibility, because you've never disciplined him. And we're so concerned that, oh, maybe that, that smack was a little too hard. Well, deal with it. Regulate your punishment, but don't not discipline your kids. That's a far worse but socially acceptable form of abuse. 
Nobody's going to call Child Protective Services because you don't discipline your kid. And let me tell you, there's nine times more parents that need to have Child Protective Services call them for not disciplining their kids than for disciplining them. So you're worried about child abuse? Good, discipline your kid. Just do it in love. Do it the right way because you will, discipl- you will abuse your kid if you do not discipline them. Third and finally, you're not going to find this. You're not going to find this specifically in Proverbs 22, 6, but it's there. And I, I kind of have to build this up here a little bit. Why, why does the Bible want us to train or teach our kids? Because it wants, a, wants us to help our kids put away foolishness so that they can gain wisdom. You get that? You tracking with me on this? Why does the Bible want you to pursue wisdom? So you can win Bible trivia pursuit? No, because the pursuit of wisdom is the pursuit of God. It's not like God is here and wisdom is here. Pursuing a life of wisdom, properly understood, is a pursuit of God. So all of this is recognizing the fact that our kids' greatest need is for the gospel. It's for the gospel. And I have to say this because I just see this. Our goal in disciplining our kids is not behavior modification. It's not behavior modification. The the Bible has no tolerance for you just wanting your kids to be a good little boy or girl so they don't embarrass you. And I see parents more concerned, hey, listen, uh, just don't get pregnant. Don't get drunk. Don't go to jail. Don't be in the herald because then I can't go to church anymore. I'll be too embarrassed. And I see parents that are more concerned about behavior modification than they are about what our ultimate goal is. That's heart transformation. Heart transformation. Let me tell you, when you spank that little tush, you're not aiming for their behind. You're aiming for their heart. The whole reason that you discipline is that they learn to discipline themselves. You, you smack that hand so that they're not grabbing for that stove that's hot. And guess what? You do that two or three times, they learn, I'm not supposed to grab for that thing. Now, you're not disciplining anymore because they've learned self-discipline. The challenge is you can aim for behavior modification and never hit their heart. Never hit their heart, ever. But if you aim for their heart, you get behavior modification. Because the direction that your heart wants to go, your behavior will go to. Our goal is their heart, not just simply their behavior. So if we understand this rightly, friends, discipline is a rescue mission. Discipline is one of the first ways as parents that we do evangelism. Because the Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of our child and discipline is a rescue mission telling them that God is worth this to get you to a different place. Without discipline, we fall into foolishness. And when we talk about discipline and connect it to the gospel, loving-hearted correction. I'm I'm not talking about loving correction, like, oh boy, I can't wait to get home and discipline you. I'm talking about loving-hearted correction. Correction that comes out of a heart for love. You're doing this because you love the Lord and you love your kid. Loving correction is always a chance for gospel conversation. Loving correction is always a chance for gospel conversation. Have a conversation like this. Kylie kicks Caleb in the shin and then takes off running. She would never, ever, ever, ever do that. 
And now I got Caleb over here fussing. Because, like, Kylie done got out of Dodge. Like, he, he's going to have to, like, premeditated, like, find a way to trap her to get her back. You know, it's, it's bad. You know how it is with siblings. It's just, it's rough. You get me, and dad's involved now, so I can't get you now. But you wait till you're not looking, you're going to get got. <laughs> you know, I'm going to find you. And so he's, he's mad because, like, she got me, and I haven't gotten her yet. And a lot of times, I think, again, when we aim at behavior modification, we're just like, uh-uh-uh, don't you be angry. Anger's bad. Bad anger. And instead, you can say, I know something about being angry. I've, I've been angry. As a matter of fact, I've learned anger's not really a good thing because it never actually gets me what I want. It never pays off. And you know why I'm grateful for my anger? Is it's taught your daddy why Jesus is important. Jesus died because of my anger. Jesus died because of my... You don't like to share your toys? Yeah, I'm greedy too. Jesus came to deal with my sin. Instead of me just trying to aim at your behavior modification... Don't you want to have a heart that loves Jesus? Yeah. You know what? Maybe you don't need to get your sister back. Maybe you just need to understand that's another one of those many sins that Jesus died for, her kicking you in the shin. And if you allow Jesus to deal with it, guess what? You don't have to. Now, admittedly, it's just a lot easier to smack him on the butt and be done with it. And then you've not done your job as a parent to point them to the good, good father that we have in Christ the one who took the punishment for us so that we didn't have to have it. And if we would simply turn from our sin and put our faith in Christ, he makes us part of his family. When godly parents create a gospel culture that includes healthy, formative, and corrective discipline, what the Bible's telling us is that the likely results, the likely results are that you'll have a kid who both believes right and behaves right. And we all mess up as parents. It's not a promise. It's not a promise. And God may have a cross for you to bear in the raising of your kids that is the exception to the rule. But are you in the game loving your kids enough to discipline them so that one day it can be said of them that they've learned what it means to be wise? They've learned what it means to fear God and to keep His commands. Would you pray with me, please? <clears throat> Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we acknowledge how much we um, need its instruction. We're a proud people. And I think nowhere is that pride more evident than in our parenting. Yeah, I did it right. My kids are great. And we, we blaspheme you by taking credit for really what only you deserve. <clears throat> and in some ways, we turn ourselves into martyrs when we're not supposed to bear the, the brunt of um, adult children's bad decisions. Uh, they, have to make their own, they have to make their own decisions. And we have to love them enough and find ways to discipline and encourage them uh, even when they're out from under our roof. I pray that you help us to understand how important it is for us to show that we are under your authority 
And that part of that is helping our kids to understand how they are to submit to their parents' authority. And I pray that you help us to do that with such integrity that it makes it easy for our kids to submit to our authority and then one day, by your grace, to submit to your authority as Lord and King. Father, it's not just an issue of behavior. It's an issue of loving you. And we pray that as we think about these things, that you will encourage us to follow you as your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.